0: Hello and welcome to The Intelligence on Economist Radio. I'm your host, Jason Palmer. Every weekday, we provide a fresh perspective on the events shaping your world. Roughly, the story of technology companies in recent years is the big get bigger. The pandemic seems to be strengthening that narrative and speeding up the shift to services that was already underway. Lots of big music releases have been put on hold recently, but not all. We have a listen to what could be called a breakout outbreak album and chart the history of surprisingly upbeat music that comes about during downturns. First up, though... 20 years ago today, Vladimir Putin was inaugurated as president of
1: Russia.
0: (inaudible) By swapping his job (inaudible) between president and prime minister, he's essentially run the country ever since. The former intelligence officer in the KGB took charge of a country that had opened up after the disintegration of the Soviet Union. World leaders regarded him with optimism. I looked the man in the eye, I found him to be very straightforward and trustworthy. I was able to get a sense of his soul. He's a man deeply committed to his country and the best interests of his country. Those hopes eventually faded as he began a program of aggressive adventurism abroad and pinching off freedoms at home. For a long while, Mr. Putin enjoyed a degree of popularity among Russians. But public opinion had already begun to turn before the COVID-19 crisis struck. Mr. Putin is being blamed for the world's second fastest rate of new infections. The oil price, one on which much of the country's economy depends, has tanked. And what had worried Russians even before the pandemic was Mr. Putin's increasingly cunning plans to remain as leader two decades on despite his modest early ambitions.
1: Putin, when he came to power, it's hard to say, we don't know what was going on in his head, but from everything that people around him say, he didn't think he was actually going to stay for very long.
0: Arkady Ostrovsky is our Russia editor.
1: He was not a politician who was actively striving for political power. Uh, He was not nearly as confident as he is now. Putin today is an ageing authoritarian, ageing dictator who's uh, refusing to leave his post. He overseeing an economy where the state or its proxies and cronies control most of Russian assets and uh, where the majority of people have been left out in the cold.
0: And how is this, this ageing dictator, as you call him, dealing with the threat of the coronavirus?
1: Well, he hasn't been dealing with it very well. Initially, he's been strangely absent. At the very beginning, he played down the threat of coronavirus. He then effectively vanished from public view, not wishing to be associated with the virus. He was conspicuously absent. And when he did appear on television, he was there not to explain the severity of coronavirus outbreak. He tried to play a good cop. You know, the first thing he did was to announce a week of non-working days, effectively a holiday which led a lot of people to take off to the countryside to gather in the parks. He then had to come back and extend those non-working days. In terms of businesses, particularly private, small and medium-sized enterprises, they've been left completely high and dry. And so now Putin is starting to attract blame, particularly for now from the opposition, for being too focused on his own agenda at the cost of Russian lives and, and health of the Russian people.
0: And what is that agenda exactly?
1: He's been preoccupied with two things. One was the change to the constitution, that would allow him to stay in power indefinitely. Effectively, it was a constitutional coup. And he's been very focused on holding the 9th of May parade for the 75th anniversary of the Soviet victory in the Second World War. This was supposed to be the moment that would legitimize his rule, legitimize his constitutional change which would be attended by foreign grandees. He had to postpone that. So the crisis, the coronavirus outbreak hijacked Putin's political agenda. This is not something that autocrats who are obsessed with controlling everything take lightly. to.
0: And so it's already clear to you that his uh, popularity is, is suffering among the people?
1: Yes, it is. And the figures support that. The trust in Putin is going down. The approval rating is going down. This perception of Putin being an autocrat but by popular consent, this concept that Putin is popular with ordinary Russians, which was still there a year and a half ago, is pretty much gone nobody thinks of Putin as a super popular leader anymore. And that perception is very, very important. He is in a way facing three crises. You know, it's not just the outbreak of coronavirus. It's also the political crisis due to his changes to the constitution. And of course, it's all compounded by the fall in the oil prices, which really hit Russian economy hard. Uh, Russia does have reserves. It's got one of the highest reserves to deal with the dent in the public finance and the budget for for a few years, but it cannot sustain itself much beyond that. Russian economy is not diversified. Uh, Russian economy is very dependent on the oil price. So he's got an economic crisis. He's got a public health crisis. Russia is now recording 10,000 infections a day. It's one of the highest in the world. Its health system is starting to really, particularly outside Moscow, starting to crumble under pressure. And he's facing a political crisis of legitimacy. So 20 years on, he's suddenly looking much more vulnerable than anyone could have expected only a few months ago.
0: But but vulnerable isn't necessarily doomed. I mean, do you think that, that all of these events conspiring against him are a genuine threat to his power, just when he should have been sort of solidifying it for life?
1: The fact that he is looking vulnerable, the fact that his legitimacy is suffering, does not mean it's over. It doesn't mean this regime is doomed. Nor does it mean that Russia is going to come out from this crisis a more liberal or open country as it did after the catastrophe in 1986 in Chernobyl. Chernobyl was the catalyst for Gorbachev to open up the country and start reforming it. The fear is that the COVID crisis in Russia today will lead to the opposite effect. That Vladimir Putin will try to compensate the weakening of his legitimacy, not by opening up the country but by lashing back, by increasing repression. Where it heads from there, it's impossible to say. If anything that Russian history teaches us, it is that changes come very suddenly and very, very dramatically. One thing which is almost certain even now is when it comes out, it will look very different from the way it looked when it went in.
0: Arkady, thank you very much for your time.
1: Thank you.
0: American law defines a mass layoff as anything more than 500 people losing their jobs. Before the pandemic, they tended to be restructuring efforts at bigger corporations, Deutsche Bank, General Motors, Verizon. But as COVID-19 reshapes economies, mass layoffs are hitting a different kind of company. We anticipate that continued social distancing, altered consumer behavior, and expected corporate cost cutting will be significant headwinds for Lyft. Last week, the ride-sharing firm said it would let go of 1,000 workers. On an earnings call yesterday, the company's co-founder, Logan Green, explained why. Rides fell 75% last month.
1: The strength and duration of these headwinds
0: cannot presently be estimated. These are the hard truths we're facing. Today, Lyft's bigger rival, Uber, will report its earnings. Already, it said it will cut 3,700 jobs. And Airbnb cut a quarter of its workforce this week. But even as some Silicon Valley companies struggle, others are having a less worrisome pandemic.
3: I think it is relatively easy to predict who is going to win and who is going to lose in tech. Basically because in recessions or in, in, in these type of crises, usually the bigger companies win because they have the money, they have kind of they can attract the talent.
0: Ludwig Siegler is our US technology editor and is based in San Francisco.
3: What you've seen in the past couple of months is that the big tech companies have actually done quite well. Amazon, Alphabet, Facebook, uh, Microsoft, they kind of uh, posted increases in their revenues by kind of double digits. At the same time, the smaller companies, small tech companies, the unicorns, unicorns where these big startups were uh, uh, more than w- one billion, they, they, they're doing much worse. Experts in the Valley predict that perhaps a third of them will go belly up.
0: Why are experts predicting that these unicorns will go bankrupt? Is it, is it really the pandemic?
3: So it was already a time of change in the industry in the sense that there was the big boom of unicorns. That boom had already slowed down. The mood and the value was rather than kind of being fixated on growth, which was the case before. As as a unicorn you want to grow quickly, you want to be the winner in in, in your category people started obsessing more on, on kind of where, where's your path to profitability? What are the unit economic costs? How, you, how are you going to make money? Many of these companies are predicated on kind of spending a lot of money and, and scaling quickly and, 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 and not worrying too much about costs, but focusing on growth. And in that crisis, of course, capital is much more difficult to come by. And so they have to focus. They have to kind of look at how much money they have, make cuts and, and, and perhaps sell themselves to, to a bigger company.
0: And about those bigger companies, how are they
3: doing? that 's the very interesting thing is kind of the crisis of course not neutral in its effects, even on the big tech companies and you can already see that what 's what 's really growing and what 's been helped by the crisis are the companies that provide business services subscriptions and by business services I mean Amazon Amazon's web services arm and Azure Microsoft Azure those cloud services added a lot of customers as well the tech world was a world where a lot of money was made by advertising and still is but that that's that's kind of going down what google said for instance is that business was great and then kind of dropped quite steeply by, I think, 15% in March compared to the, the year before. Facebook said something similar.
0: Well, there's a real difference, though, between a a company that provides a service like Amazon Web Services and a company that provides uh, services with the help of real live human beings who have to go out in a pandemic stricken world like the rest of Amazon.
3: Yes, there's other services, as you say, kind of the physical services, delivery, e-commerce or groceries or food. And that's a business, obviously, that part of the tech industry that's booming as well. And Amazon has added a lot of customers there and they've hired 300,000 people to beef up their logistics operation. Difference here is that it's not that profitable of the business at this point, at least. And so Amazon has spent a lot of money, for example, in wage increases to attract more people to make sure that the delivery people are safe. So so costs have been going up there, but also business has been going up there as well. Amazon is not the only company that offers these services, these type of service delivery services. There is Instacart, there's DoorDash, there's Postmates. So these have been doing well in terms of kind of increasing business, but profitability is, is another question.
0: Well, the the case for service companies is, is clear. What about companies that sell
3: stuff? Yeah, they are in a bit of a tougher spot than than service companies you have to see that that a lot of kind of when we talk hardware we we basically say it's it's smartphones that was kind of the biggie in in, in the industry since since the introduction of the iPhone and it seems that that people are buying fewer smartphones again that's been a trend that that started before the the industry was maturing that seems to have sped up both Qualcomm and Intel said as much when they posted their results and I think Qualcomm even expects a number of smartphones to ship or The volume of smartphone chips to ship to go down 30% in in, in the coming months. So so that's a weak spot in the industry. That said, in in the case of Apple, people have started to buy other devices. So apparently a lot of people, including me, decided they need a new laptop in in this crisis. And so that's kind of strengthened Apple's results, even though kind of the smartphone business was less uh, stellar
0: so when all is said and done do you think that even among the, the the big tech companies uh that that the the pandemic will have essentially reshuffled the leader table
3: i wouldn't say reshuffled the leader table but what it's doing is kind of subtly moving the kind of spiritual center center of gravity of the industry North, That I mean kind of from San Francisco, where it is situated right now, further north to, to Seattle. Silicon Valley is kind of where the companies are based that make money, a lot of money with advertising, Google and, 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 and Facebook. It's the center kind of where a lot of unicorns are based that offer services to consumers. Whereas in Seattle, that's where kind of the big cloud providers loom large. It's 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 Amazon Web Services, it's, it's Azure. And so as, as these grow, as these kind of extract more of the money, of the profits, which are available in the industry, which, which, which is happening caused by the crisis, that's when I say the center of, of, of gravity is, is moving north.
0: Ludwig, thanks very much for joining us.
3: Thanks, Jason, for having me.
0: To follow all of The Economist's coverage of the COVID-19 pandemic and how it's swiftly reshaping the world, visit economist.com slash coronavirus. Have you heard the new Lady Gaga album? No, neither have we. The pop star was one of many musicians who decided to delay releasing new work because of the pandemic. But one artist in particular has gone against the grain.
2: The first new music that felt, I guess, significant to me in the pandemic was an album called Future Nostalgia by a British singer called Dua Lipa. Did a full one. It's a really tight selection of very upbeat pop songs that immediately clicked with the age. Mike
0: Jakeman writes about culture for The Economist.
2: There's a chorus in one of the singles called Don't Start Now, which has the chorus, don't show up, don't come out, don't start caring about me now, which instantly turned into a meme about social distancing. It got me thinking about what sort of music people have been drawn to in previous periods of economic distress.
0: So what did you find?
2: There's a real trend towards escapism. People want music to take them to a different place. At the heights or the depths, perhaps, of the Great Depression, there were a couple of American songwriters called Harold Arlen and Ted Kohler who wrote a jaunty little song that invited listeners to forget your troubles and just get happy. And And it was a big hit in the pre-chart days and later got covered by Judy Garland and Frank Sinatra and became part of the great American songbook. But that song, Get Happy, has no resonance at all with what was actually happening in
0: people's lives at the time. Is there something particularly American about this pattern?
2: I also looked at Britain in the mid-1970s, which was a country where the technicolor of Cool Britannia in the 1960s had faded into grays and browns, electricity was rationed, people were working three-day weeks. Shortage of commodities. Shortage of fuel. Shortage of work, even as short-time working became the
0: rule in 1974.
2: But most people were buying records that imagined a different time, so either the future, things like David Bowie's Ziggy Stardust, or things that were aggressively retro, like The Suite, who reinterpreted 1950s bubblegum pop, essentially looking forwards, looking
0: backwards, looking at anywhere but the present. What about economic hardship that's come more recently?
2: I think this tendency sort of continued to hold. We saw the euphoria of acid house in the UK, which came at a time when the economy was in recession. Zombie, zombie. And then, much more recently, during the global financial crisis, the charts, both in the US and the UK, were full of this very musically simple pop music by people like Katy Perry, the Black Eyed Peas, Kesha, which all preached a mantra of living for the moment, maxing out your credit cards, drinking until you pass out, forgetting about the consequences. They were for tomorrow. And this idea of no need to do any kind of long-term economic planning makes sense at a time of economic distress. And I think pop music seemed to celebrate the black humor of that. Let's just party for now and we'll deal with everything
0: else when we have the headspace to do it. If there's a pattern of looking for the upbeat and the escapist in the hard times, what happens after when hard times go away? Has there been a backlash? Does it conversely head downwards? There's some evidence of that.
2: Certainly, if we look at the last 10 years or so, pop definitely sobered up a bit, after the halcyon days of Katy Perry and Kesha. Uh, certainly hip-hop was more downbeat during the slow years of economic recovery. I'm thinking of people like Drake and The Weeknd here, the growth of trap music. This is all a, a long way to me from the Mo
0: Money, Mo Problems era of the 1990s. What does all of this suggest to you will be happening with music in the near and the midterm? Is this album from Dua Lipa a sign of things to come, do you think?
2: I think that for as long as we're living... In a period of lockdown and very straightened personal circumstances, the appeal of music as a way to escape and the desire for music that's going to make you want to get on your feet and move, I think that's very strong and that's likely to last for the period that we're in. What comes after that, of course, is a very different question, just as we simply just don't know what the world is going to look like. I wouldn't be at all surprised if we then reverted to a period of quite severe musical introspection as we tried to figure out what this means for the future.
0: Mike, thank you very much for joining us.